Now, I'm just going to start reading uh, from Mark chapter 5, verse 1. So this is an account of Jesus and uh, the uh, demon-possessed man from the tomb. So you can read through behind me. Uh, Jesus and his disciples arrived on the other side of Lake Galilee in the ter- uh, territory of Gerasa. As soon as Jesus got out of the boat, he was met by a man who came up out of the burial caves there. This man had an evil spirit in him and lived among the tombs. Nobody could keep him tied with chains anymore. Many times his feet and his hands had been tied, but every time he broke the chains and smashed the irons on his feet, he was too strong for anyone to control uh, control him. Day and night he wandered among the tombs and through the hills, screaming and cutting himself with stones. He was some uh, distance away when he saw Jesus, so he ran and fell on his knees before him. And he screamed in a loud voice, Jesus, son of the most high God, what do you want with me? For God's sake, I beg you, do not punish me. And he said this because Jesus was saying, evil spirit, come out of this man. So Jesus asked him, what is your name? The man answered, my name is Mop, for there are many of us. And he kept begging Jesus not to send the evil spirits out of that region. There was a huge, uh, large herd of pigs nearby feeding on a hillside. So the spirits begged Jesus, send us to the pigs and let us go into them. He let them go and the evil spirits went out of the man and entered the pigs Uh, The whole herd, about 2,000 pigs and all, rushed down the side of the cliff and into the lake and were drowned. The man who had been uh, taking care of the pigs ran away and spread the news in the town and among the farms. People went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who used to have the mob of demons in him. He was sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they were all afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the man with the demons and about the pigs. So they asked Jesus to leave the territory. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had the demons begged him, let me go with you. But Jesus would not let him. Instead, he told him, go back to your home and your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And how kind he has been to you. So the man left and went through the ten towns, telling what Jesus had done for him. And all those who heard were amazed. All those who heard were amazed. I'll just pray. Father, I just pray that uh, you be with us as we look at your scripture, your principles, and uh, help us to apply in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Has anyone ever seen someone acting very aggressively or very strangely or something that remotely resembles this man that you're hearing about here? You know, some years ago, I was working in, in the police and uh, we were attending an incident. It was a, uh, a um, home invasion kind of situation and enough staff had turned up and, 
as uh, I was the acting sergeant that uh, that evening, and as I was about had got out of my car and was going into this address, I heard a car accelerate beside me at. Uh, a boy racer type car, you know, the real, real super loud and just accelerate at warp 10 kind of speed. And as I looked, I, I saw one of our female constables crossing the road and this car swerve away from her and fly on down the road. I, I saw that enough staff were at the incident, so I jumped in my car and I caught up to the car around the corner. And when I started talking to this man and he got out of his car, uh, he had a couple of people in his car, but when he got out, it was very clear that things had signs of not going that well. He got out of his his car and, and the first thing he did was step right here, which is not generally a good sign, if, unless, you know, unless you're wanting to hongy someone or give them a hug because you love them, maybe. I instantly thought, hmm, this could be interesting. Well, it kind of didn't, went downhill from there and I, I talked to the man and I had to keep kind of just saying, just stay there and keep your distance because he kept stepping up, getting in my grill, and uh, which I, I didn't like. And uh, I ended up arresting the man for dangerous driving and uh, later found out that he had actually swerved towards the constable and then swerved away. He wasn't trying to hit her. He was trying to tell her he could have hit her. He was actually, if he had a gun, he would have pointed the gun at her and then not fired it, just saying, I could do it, but I choose not to. Well, he got arrested for his troubles just to show there was no hard troubles, uh, no no ill feeling towards him. And uh, he, we ended up, uh, he ended up not, not accepting that he was arrested and not complying so we ended up rolling around the ground and and uh exchanging uh how do you do's uh until another another uh member of the police came around and gave me a hand and and he was handcuffed and put in the car and taken back to the station and uh sent to court where all bad people uh end up eventually to uh appear before a judge and explain themselves the thing with Alan, this guy uh, who I came to know reasonably well, uh, was I could not reason with him. It didn't matter what I said or what I did or what I said I would do if he didn't comply. He just couldn't be reasoned with. There was something in his brain that was going 50,000 miles an hour and you just could not reason with it. And when he got back to the station and was being processed, he said that he had problems with anger and he had done courses, but none of them had helped. He had problems with anger. He'd done anger courses, but none of them had helped. Kind of reminds me a little bit of the story. They had uh, found this man wandering around and they had chained him up. And whatever they did, he just broke it. And the situation was not resolved. The situation was the same. Because in this world, sadly, there are often situations that can't be resolved in the natural. They can't be resolved by chaining someone up, hands and feet, or telling them to just settle down, or be better, or try harder, or act more intelligently, or any of that stuff. It doesn't really work. 
And I love this story because Jesus comes into the scene. Jesus had been, it says that when Jesus got out of the boat, the man was there to meet him. Where had Jesus been? Jesus had been on the sea. And it's that story when uh, it says that he was in the boat with his disciples and suddenly a storm came up. And there were other boats as well, and things got crazy, and Jesus was asleep. The disciples were freaking out, but Jesus was asleep, not worried. And in the end, his disciples woke him up and said, don't you care that we're about to drown? And Jesus stood up and told the wind and the waves and everything to settle down, and it says that they did. And it says his disciples basically freaked, and Jesus said, do you still not believe? Do you still not get what I can do? Do you still worry about what's happening around you when I'm with you? Jesus didn't get that kind of response. But here we have a man who is out of control. And I just want to bring a few thoughts about this. The man, the first point is the man lived amongst the tombs. Amongst the tombs, amongst the graveyard. Around the graves. Now, it says that they tried to chain him. They tried to chain his hands and his feet. And often I think, why was that? And I think, well, obviously they're scared of the man. They're scared because he could hurt them. He was annoying because it said that he would yell. He could be heard through the night yelling out. He was in great pain and great distress and great torment under the powers of darkness, and he would scream out because he was tormented day and night. And so I think, oh, well, that's not very nice to be around, so I guess they tried to chain him up for that. But I think there's an underlying reason why they chained him up. He would live amongst the tombs. That made him under um, law and in uh, the book of Numbers actually unclean. To touch a dead thing actually made you unclean for seven days. To touch a dead body, to touch a dead animal, to walk over a grave and physically touch it actually made you spiritually unclean for seven days. There was a process. You had to have special water put on you in the third day and then again in the seventh day and you would be deemed clean. But if you didn't undergo that cleansing process, you were considered unclean, 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 and you were cut off from the community. It wasn't you've been bad and now you've got to go over there for one month. No, you were unclean. It was a never-ending status. It continued. It was irreversible. It didn't matter what happened from that point on. You were cut off from your people. He was living amongst dead places, tombs containing dead people, spiritually unclean, and I think what was the big fear around him was the fact that he had spiritual uncleanness, and if he touched them, they were unclean. And if he touched them and they didn't realize it, they couldn't undergo the cleansing process, and they would become unclean as well, potentially. So it's quite a significant thing. Here he was, wandering through, screaming, trying to be tied up because they were scared of all the stuff that was going on. We can have stuff in our lives. We can have things going on in our lives that are not great. We can have things that uh, cause us torment in our lives. And we can 
react all kinds of different ways. But the thing I love about God and the thing I love about Jesus was Jesus was able to dominate that situation. Jesus came into the life of this poor man and he dominated the situation. He bound up those demons and he cast them out. And that was the end of it. And then it says that they came to him and here was this man sitting with Jesus, clothed, indicating he probably wasn't clothed before. He was probably the first nudist running around the place. And in his right mind, he was sitting with Jesus, clothed, and in his right mind. You know, when you hang out with God, you can't help but change. You know, I'm not the person I was 35 years ago when I met Jesus. I was a rat bag. I was rebellious. I, my morals weren't great. I, live, I lived a code. I was dragged up in a, in a house setting. I didn't grow up in a, in a nice Christian, Christian setting. I grew up in a house where, you know, the, the, the principles of God weren't taught. And so it was pretty much, you know, you just kind of did what you felt. Not a great way to live. It's damaging for yourself. It's damaging for other people. But I love the fact that when God comes into your life, he can change it. When God comes into your life, he can change it. You cannot live a relationship with God in your life, with Jesus in your life, and stay the same. If you're the same now as you were 20 years ago or 10 years ago, then I would question, is he really alive in the relationship? Because my experience and and all that I see in other people's lives is if, if God is at the center of your life, if you've given your life to Jesus, if you're living for Jesus, something has to change. You can't stay the same. I used to swear like crazy before as a Christian. In fact, even my friends, my non-Christian friends, even used to tell myself and another guy off for how much we swore because we just swore, and it didn't matter what the setting was, we just swore wherever. And sometimes, you've probably heard it, young people swearing, it's not nice. When I, when I came to God, I just realized swearing is not great. I just realized that this behavior is not godly behavior. Now, no one told me, you've got to stop swearing. I didn't read in the Bible where it says about putting away dirty um, dirty jokes and coarse talk and that. I hadn't read that verse. I didn't know about that stuff. But something inside here just changed. It gave way. When I came to Christ, I knew that everything that I wanted, everything that I thought was important had to give way to God's way. I knew that when, when I came to God, what I thought was important didn't matter anymore. It's what God thought was important was important. I was going to take his side from now, from then on in. I was going to change my ways and live for him. And I thought it was going to be totally boring. I think I've shared this before. I thought Christians were super boring. And I'm glad I was wrong. And I thought my life was over. And I'm glad I was sure wrong on that one. It started at that time. It started at that time. But my swearing had to go because I, I just knew in here it just didn't make me feel comfortable. I just knew it wasn't right. Now, no one told me, didn't read it in the Bible, but I hung out with God and God thought it wasn't cool. So I thought it wasn't cool. 
So I stopped doing it. And that's the story of, of the journey of Christ in our lives, really, isn't it? He, we live for him. He points something out to us. I want to change this in your life. And we give it to him. And maybe we carry on down the road a bit further and it's still there and we give it to him. And maybe we battle with it some more and it's still there and we give it to him. But we give it to him. That's the important thing. We give it to him. doesn't mean we always, you know, we come, we give our lives to God and everything's all done. It's not my experience. Some things are done. Swearing was done. I just had no desire to do it anymore. But there's other things that hung around that you've got to battle through. You know, other things that aren't so easy to lay down. But you just give them to God and you carry on. I think one of the worst things we do in our life is we get bent out of shape and become condemned through those things. Uh, my most powerful releases in my life are where I've actually just said to God, I, I, can't, I can't overcome this. I've, got, I've tried and tried and tried. It's too big for me. So I just give it to you. I bring it into the light. I give it to you. And I just pray that you find a way to just take it away, sort it out. And you know what? God does. Isn't that cool? Now, sometimes we've got to talk to some people. Sometimes we've got to get some counseling as well uh, to work through some stuff. But, but God is always journeying with us every day. The worst thing we can do is come to God and get condemned and get bent out of shape and think, I'm no good. Everyone else is fantastic. I'm the only one in the room that's not good. My life stinks. Everyone else's is fantastic. No one else has sin in their lives. No one else has anything going wrong in your lives. If, if someone has sin in their lives, can I get you to raise your hand? I'll raise mine first. How's that for a big hint? Yeah? We all stink. We've all got sin. None of us are perfect. We've all got stuff we're working on. So stop thinking you're the only one in the room. Yeah? We've all got a journey. We all hang out together. We all encourage one another. That's what the life group thing is about. We all get together. We all realize we're not perfect, and we just do life together regardless. And we praise God all the way, and we encourage each other all the way. I'm going to jump some points because I pretty much talk past them anyway. I've just got a few key, key learning points. And the first one is God doesn't care about your past. The only time when someone brings up your past is generally us, like I was just doing there, telling you about what I was like. God doesn't bring that stuff up. I chose to bring it up to give you an example of what things were like and how God's to give God the glory, basically. But God doesn't care about your past. But the Bible says that the devil runs around roaring like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. Often he does it, he sits on our shoulder and he whispers in our ear, you're no good. You're no good. Remember that thing you did 40 years ago. Remember that thing you did 40 years ago. You're still bad today. That's a lie. That's a lie. You're nothing like that 40 years. If you've got God living in your heart, in your life and, and you're giving everything to God and that, you're nothing, that, that person's gone. You're a new creation, the Bible says. You can give it to God. You can move on. You can knock them off. 
give him the old headbutt off the side of the head, knock him back. God doesn't really even care about the present today. He cares about what he can do in our lives. He cares about your future. You know, the Bible says that, that he, and the principle goes on and on and on, that God is a God that wants to make our futures bright. He wants to make our futures better. Now, I know overseas you hear that that's sometimes prosperity doctrine. I'm not talking about that you will have a flash car in the future. I'm not talking about you will have a big 50-room house because it doesn't matter to God. None of that stuff's actually important. Maybe you do. That's fantastic. But it's not, it's not about that. God wants to journey with us and make our lives rich, regardless of what the bank balance says. The bank balance may have lots of zeros. The ba- bank balance may have an overdraft. It doesn't matter to God. He cares about what we are doing in Him. He cares about how we're living for Him at the end of the day. Are we surrendering to Him? Are we giving it all to Him? I love this picture of this man. He gave it all to God. He was seated. He was in His right mind. He was clothed. Uh, I think it was, uh, when did Tush and Ezra happen? That was three years ago now? Okay. Uh, we had this couple about three years ago. We got this call. We were uh, just heading out of town and got a call saying, are you guys available tonight? It was uh, some people that we uh, I'd done New Believers with and uh, and we we're just journeying with, just doing life with, uh, just catching up and, and doing coffees. And we had this call, hey, are you guys free? We've got a bit of a family crisis. And they explained that uh, the their brother, um, Tasha's brother and sister-in-law had just given their lives to Christ. They had had something crazy happen at their house and they would tell us all about it when we got to their house that night. So that was good enough for us. So we turn up and uh, we're talking to them and, and they'd been watching TV the night before. It was a Sunday night and uh, they had, um, uh I think the cell phone was the first thing. I think it went off. And when they looked at it, it said 666. And they'd had heaps of freaky stuff happening in their house. They'd had, uh, apparently a previous owner had had a spiritualist in and had had given all this reason as to why things were crazy in the house spiritually. And and uh, so they knew about all this kind of history stuff. And so they pick up the phone at 666 and they, they kind of looked at it and thought, that's a bit weird. So they turned it off. Then they uh, are watching the TV about half an hour later and 666 comes across the screen. And so they turn TV off and thought, that's, that's not good. Um, then they're at home and they put their uh, child, one of their children, to bed and they said, she is amazing. She never comes out. She, you put her to bed, she goes to sleep. Well, this night she came out and they thought she wanted to go to the toilet. And they said, that's a bit weird. She never gets out of bed. Um, so they let her go to the toilet and she went back to bed. Then sometime later, she comes running into the room screaming and they said they could see a shadow chasing her down the hallway. They freaked at this point and they said, we're out of here. They gathered up the kids. They're putting them in the, in the car. Natasha runs into their little um, newborn baby's room to get their baby and their baby is levitating in midair. 
levitating in midair, floating in midair. She says, this is crazy. And I think she screamed and Ezra ran into the room and saw it as well. She, she later said to us, I'm so happy that he came in and saw it with his own eyes because he would have thought I was nuts. He would have thought I'd lost Morocco. They both saw it. They, they grabbed the baby. They jumped in the car. They, they left town, literally left town, to Foxton. And they caught up with, with our friends there. The next day they uh, gave their life to Christ. We, uh, when they told us, we prayed through the house. Jenna and I prayed through the house. And um, uh, Dave and, and uh, Olivia prayed through the house. And, and instantly they felt it change. These people who were used to f- living in this house that was weird suddenly had this house change. And in the weeks that followed, they would play Christian music and they said the whole atmosphere of the house was different. There was a peace in this house because when the Spirit of God comes into a situation, darkness can't coexist. You know, here am I talking about my bad language. When the Spirit of God comes into your situation, darkness can't coexist comfortably. Something's got to give way and and the powers of darkness decided to hit the track and move out where they belong. So I love that picture. I've got a few more stories, but I've already talked 25 and that's my max. So uh, I have to save them up for you for another day. But what I want to do as we finish is if we all just stand, I just want to pray that as we go into work tomorrow and as we go into work the next week and that, Remember who is journeying with you. Remember who you're in the boat with. You're in the, you're in the boat with the uh, Son of God who told the weather that it could sh- sit down and shut up. You're in the, in the boat with the Son of God who landed at the other side and delivered a man whose world was so turned up and tormented. And we can be the Son of God to them. You know, you might tomorrow head into the, uh, into the office or into your classroom or into your universities or your schools or wherever you are. You can take the presence of God with you. You can encounter people who are tormented in their lives and need breakthrough and don't know how they're going to get through. And finances are out of, are completely out of whack and their private lives are out of whack. And maybe they've got marriages that are going south and maybe they've got uh, parents that are crazy or kids that are that are just off the train. But you can bring peace into the world. You can share Christ with them. You can pray for them and and start them on a journey of knowing that God is wanting to journey with all of us. So I'll pray and we can uh, realize that we do that. So Father, I thank you, God, that you are a God that overcomes situations that aren't in you. You're a God that can overcome situations that are uh, far from you, that can look uh, just hopeless, and yet you can bring light, you can bring uh, grace, you can bring peace into those situations. Your Holy Spirit can move in those situations and, and make even the bleakest situation amazing. We just pray for opportunities to bring about your truth into people's lives, people who need to hear about Jesus, people who need to hear that you love them. I just pray that you give us tools, you give us confidence to just quietly chat to people 
and just love people as we encounter them this week. And, and if the opportunities do arise that we get to pray for people, I pray that you move in those situations, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. That's great. So don't, one of the things I used to say a lot at, at Life Church um, Sunday nights and, and whatnot was don't let God stay in here and be a secret. We, our job is to come in and celebrate being together on Sundays and encourage one another and worship God. But we're to take God out there. The most important thing is that we come in and we take him back out there because God doesn't want to live in church alone. He wants to be expressed to the world. And that is where we express him, yeah? So I'm going to hand back to the band. And uh, you guys have a great week. Have a great week. See ya.